And now, the Street Photography Magazine podcast with your host, Bob Patterson. Welcome back to the Street Photography Magazine podcast. I'm your host, Bob Patterson, publisher of Street Photography Magazine. And with us today is a gentleman who has contributed a few articles to our magazine to help make it even better. So I'm really glad to have him come on and talk about his work. It's uh, Larry Rossiopo. He's from originally from Brooklyn, New York, uh, living in Queens now. He is a uh, longtime New York photographer, and he has even referred to himself as the best unknown photographer in New York, maybe in the world, probably <laughs> in the world. I mean, uh, otherwise. So anyway, Larry, thanks for being with us. It's good to finally meet you. Yes, Bob, it's a pleasure to be here. Yes, yes. So you've done, oh, you've done just so many things uh, through your photographic career. But uh, one of the most recent things you did was uh, submit an article to the magazine, which, if our timing stays the same, by the way, we were recording this a few weeks early, but uh, he wrote an article uh, about something that happened back in his younger days, and it was called A Return Visit to New York City, and which we'll get into in just a second, and that should have published two days ago. This is scheduled, this show is scheduled to publish on august the 11th so um by that time you'll be able to if you're a subscriber be able to go back and, and take a look at that article but uh so before we get rolling larry why don't you tell us more about that story uh, give us a little more flavor uh for those who have already read it sure well i grew up in a family where there was no presence of art and i went to catholic school which had no art programs and in 1968, I was in California as part of this uh, war on poverty. There was a program called Volunteers in Service to America. And I quit college after my junior year. I went to California to fight poverty. As odd as that might sound today, although the program still exists as AmeriCorps. Mm -hmm. It was one of the best things I ever did. I benefited more and learned more. Than I was able to create for the community in California. Oh, I did start a teen center in this little primarily Chicano town called, um, in Gilroy, which was in Morgan Hill, which were in South County, south of San Jose. Hmm. Gilroy is known as the Gara capital of the world. And while there, I had some other Vista volunteers were interested in photography, and they kind of showed me some things. And I was heading back to New York around Christmas time in 1969 to see my family. And one of my friends said, why don't you take a camera? And he gave me a small Petri 35 millimeter rangefinder. Now that I knew then what a rangefinder was. And he gave me two rolls of Tri-X. He loaded the camera for me and said, take some pictures. So I came home, visited my family. And I started walking around with the camera taking pictures. And I loved it. It was really a lot of fun. I took it with me when I saw my family, went visited some friends from my college. I went to the Times Square. I went to the Bronx Zoo. I went to the Botanical Gardens. I just, everywhere I went, I snapped a few pictures. And when, when I got back to California, they showed me how to develop the film. And I really liked that also. And I made a few prints. And 
without really intending to, eventually I decided I really liked photography, came back to New York, got serious about photography, went back to school, then went to SVA at night, and started working as a photo assistant and did one thing after another, and I've been photographing for over 50 years now. And since the pandemic, I've been spending more time at home working with my archive. Mm. That's archived in quotation marks. But I do have 50 years worth of negatives. And I bought a really good scanner. I've been scanning the work. And I found an envelope with these cut-up negatives. A few places there was a strip of four. But there were a lot of just one single black and white negative that were in this envelope. And I made a contact sheet. And I thought it was kind of interesting. And then I had some time the last month. And I, and I scanned and print, made prints of all the negatives. And it was just a very interesting story. I saw stuff that I wouldn't do. I saw the beginnings of some things that I went on to photograph over many years. I, there were several of my cousins lived right near me, these beautiful little half Irish, half Italian kids. And I photographed them right up to their deaths a few wow. years ago. And uh, some pictures in the article showing them in their, as the teenagers. But I started out, they were like three or four years old. And so I saw, looking back, as photographers, as photographers often do, you learn what you're interested by looking at what you photographed. And sometimes you don't even realize, oh, I was interested in that at the time. The luxury of having 50 years of photographs to go through and sift through, I've, I've learned a lot about myself and what I was interested in. So you were scanning single frames. Yeah. I mean, how, how did you even get well, them to I scan have, I have, the I have a really good. I have a really good Imacon scanner. Uh-huh. It's very easy to put a single negative in. Oh, take, okay. Ship of four, and I put the negative right in, and it scans it on a curve. It's like a little cheaper version of a drum scanner. Mm. No mm. longer, they're no longer made. I bought one used. I bought the last. I called Hasselblad bought the company, and they called X Tight or something. But it was Imicon, and they had several models. And I found this model for sale in Florida, and I bought it for three thousand dollars. And I had it shipped to New York, and I was afraid it would never work. He <laughs> asked one of my young photographer friends to hook it up for me, and it's a gem. It, it sounds like an old car starting. I keep thinking every time I use it, it's going to die. But I've had it for 10 years. I'm knocking wood as I say this. I don't want anything to happen to it. The new ones, the last model they made was $20,000, and they're no longer made. Wow. And it's not even sure you can get parts for them anymore. So I keep every day, I, when I use it, I hope to get a few more negatives in. It does up to four by five. It does my two and a quarter by six and three quarter panoramic negatives. And it does, you know, color black and white transparencies. It's a great uh, machine. And the quality is really high. The only thing is it has no spotting. So there's no digital silver. Mm -hmm. You have to then do each one. It's very tedious. So I eventually figured I spent about an hour to get a printable file. But it's still, I used to, you know, go into Manhattan and rent a darkroom to print color and spend three hours on the subway. So every time I spend doing this, I'm at home. It's very pleasant, very nice. It's some nice music. And this is a very comfortable place to work. I feel very, very lucky. You know, a lot of artists spend their whole life trying to get the right studio working yeah. situation. Wow, that's really cool. You like to live life on the edge. I know you've got a, I don't want to get into this right now, but you have wide locks, yeah. which I hear it's really hard to find get them repaired and find parts for them and 
your scanner is the same thing, huh? Yeah, I'm on the, I'm, you know, so I'm on, I'm on the clock. You're on the clock. You're I'm on, on the, the clock personally. I'm 75 and a half, so it's all <laughs> ticking away. You're on the trailing edge of technology. That's it. Which is not rarely a bad thing, by the way. I like that. Well, I still, I, I don't shoot as much film as I used to. It's become harder, more expensive. Yeah. I used to shoot film on the weekend, say, maybe shoot. 30 sheets of four by five color negative going to Manhattan to my rental dark room. I dropped the film off when I go off the subway on 23rd street and I print for four or five hours and I pick up the negatives before I went home. Now I have to mail it in mm -hmm. to get it back. It's just totally different. Well, I want to back up to your, um, to the return to New York story. You, you were talking about how you look back at your uh, at your old photos and you could see sort of a you know a seed of things you're still doing now i mean as you look at at your work over that that you made over that period of time do you see can you identify or is it obvious your own personal vision how you view the world how you, oh sorry i'm losing my voice today it's it's pollen season here right now yeah. and uh but uh Hell, you you're dealing with uh, with smoke from a forest fire. Yeah, yeah right no, now. it really stinks. It really stinks outside. I just yeah. went for a walk before I, I had lunch and had had a cup of coffee before I came up to, to uh, do the Zoom meeting, and it was it really stinks. Strange. Yeah, very no, weird. Yes, Sunday. That's something you oh, see out really, west. So if you were going to say if you ran five miles every day, you might want to skip a day or two. That's what yeah, I heard. Inside, it's not so bad. It just smells funny. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's headed down our way. Yeah. It's supposed to be in D.C. I think tomorrow. Anyway, getting back to my point. So, uh, were you able to, you know, identify your own not style, but your, you know, how you see the world, and has that been pretty consistent over forty some years? What I what surprised me the most was how connected I am to my Italian American Catholic Brooklyn upbringing. Mm -hmm. There, there are three. Those are three things that link together, that make me the person I am. I've, I've, you know, I've grown, I've changed, I've mm -hmm. become radicalized, less, less traditionally religious, but those things show up in all my work. The, all the people I photographed, the, the religious things I photographed, I have all these photographs of religion, of um, processions, of altars. Like when I had my job working for the city, I had to photograph building conditions. And I went to some very harsh places and i'd be in an apartment and i'd be photographing there'd be like a hole in the ceiling war would be coming in and i noticed a person had a, relig a religious altar and i say can i photograph your altar like for my had nothing to do with my job mm -hmm. i just thought beautiful and they were like i'm generalizing but i found that the the uh, latino altars were bigger and more colorful than the italian american altars that i grew up seeing in my aunt's house and especially my grandmother's you know, this like devotion to mm -hmm. saints and uh, objects. Mm -hmm. so I just had this in my head and I wound up, I had an exhibit at the Museum of Biblical Art and there was a whole wall of these little altars. I just kept photographing and putting them away, making notes, putting them aside. And that's one way a lot of people photograph. And it's a way I like to photograph. I photograph different things as I see them. And over time, I might say, oh, I'm interesting batch of, of uh, images here. Maybe I can get a show or maybe I can publish this. 
And then once I get a lead or apply for grant or something, I'll say, oh, this is in the works. Now I'll concentrate even harder and find more things that fit. And it's kind of like, I see my work as like about 10 different bar graphs, hmm. you know, all to different heights. Uh -huh. and I've gotten five books published so far. I have five more or so I'd like to do. And I just keep adding to these vertical columns of, of, of work. And they're all interrelated. Like um, the book I did, the last book I did was Coney Island on Coney Island. It's called Coney Island Baby. Mm -hmm. And it has pictures from 1970 through to the year I published the book. I, I keep photographing the same places, the same things, different, different cameras, color, black and white, large format, half frame. I like to use many different cameras. They're all fun. Yeah, they are. Might as well embrace that if that's what you like. Un unlike your friend you were telling me about, you use the same camera and lens for 40 years. Yeah. Yeah. Which is also a good thing. Yeah. So uh, over those years, were you able to, or did you ever question your own vision because it didn't look like other people's? Or well, did you always em em embrace it as your own? Well, I, I didn't really think that way because I didn't have mm -hmm. an art background. Yeah. I like looking at pictures. And when I came back from California, I had, I had one year left at Fordham and I wanted to go to NYU. And they said, you have to redo, you have to repeat your junior year and your sophomore year. And I said, that, mm. that's too much. I was willing to repeat one year. Yeah, that's a lot. But not, not two years. So spending six years to get a bachelor's degree seems silly. So I said, I'll, just, I'll swallow hard and go to Fordham. They had very little in arts programming. This was back in the Bronx campus. Now it's very different now. You have a lot of art stuff at Lincoln Center. So I went to SVA at night and I realized I, for some reason, I've talked to Meryl Meisler about this when she was <laughs> in the clubs. I was yeah. like a lot of out of borough people I knew, a lot of Brooklyn people were intimidated by Manhattan. So I wasn't comfortable at SVA and I decided to rent it. I rented a small storefront in Sunset Park in Brooklyn for $35 a month. I bought a $75 enlarger and three plastic eight by 10 trays. And I decided to teach myself printing. And I would just photograph, process my film. I had one, you know, two reels and a tank for developing. And I would just work. I rented the storefront and I worked and I'd print and say, these don't look right. I, I used to go to MoMA one day a week and look at the photo collection and Mm -hmm. See, my prints don't look like this. I go back to Brooklyn, shoot another roll of film, process it, make prints, and just got it's got better and better by working at it. And I enjoyed it. I, I found the printing a nice compliment to the being out and photographing. I've always liked it as a I've always liked photography and printing as a balance. You know, you're out and you're active, you're talking to people, mm -hmm. and you have this great time to spend alone and think and look at things. And I, I just, I just, I just liked it. And I didn't find anything else that I liked more. I worked on some films with some friends and my brother, but we never had the money to finish anything. We always got into a technical problem or we couldn't afford the actors. We couldn't afford the right lighting equipment, but the still photography I could do myself. Yeah. It be better and different. It was me. I was responsible. If it was good, it was me. If it was bad, it was me. I couldn't blame it on anybody else. 
No one else affected it. And I just kept doing it and doing it, and I liked it. I've never made any money and never expected to make money. I did every crappy New York City artist job there is from driving a yellow cab, bartender, <laughs> waiter, shape up loading trucks, and, you know, just to make money. And I had a low rent, and I was able to do it. Wow. I imagine people can't do that today. No, it's very difficult. I mean, I had a floor through apartment in Park Soul for $125 a month. Wow. And my parents thought I was getting ripped off because they were in a <laughs> rent controlled apartment paying $50 a month in Sunset Park. And I had a little dark room. I had to wash big prints in the bathtub. I think I've sent you a picture of that. And it's just, it was, but I just liked it. I enjoyed myself. Nobody bothered me. I didn't bother anybody. I always had a sense of asking people for their permission to photograph them. And very often the portraits became a um, interaction, you know, very comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. People said no, they said no. But most people were so pleased to pay attention to them. Just anybody thinks, thinks you want to talk to them. I'd like to take a quick break to thank the Street Photography Magazine subscribers for your support. We couldn't do this without you. You may have noticed that we don't sell advertising or sponsorships in the podcast or inside Street Photography Magazine itself. And that's because we want to be completely objective about the work we publish and the services and gear that we cover. Our only constituent is you, our listeners and readers. So if you like what we're doing, you can support the show by subscribing to Street Photography Magazine. It's only $5 per month, and you can do it by visiting streetphotographymagazine.com slash subscribe. And now back to the show. When you, um, when you do portraits, do you post people or let well, them you know, done, be themselves? Depending on what equipment I'm using. 35 millimeter, no. Two and a quarter occasionally. Four by five, a little more, a little more effort, you know? Mm -hmm. And one of the things is a lot of people, like, I have all these pictures. People do style things, like, um, you want to take pictures of people, they, they pose, and sometimes in a fake way. Yeah. Like a lot of people in the 70s would give the Fonz thing or the thumbs up thing. Mm -hmm. I take that picture. I said, now relax and be yourself. Yeah. And I would find myself taking like nice to take two or three pictures. And very often people, you get to pick the one you like the most. You know, and people pose. People have sometimes are awkward, sometimes uncomfortable. I had I this one thing that was a real lesson that I teach from time to time. I always bring this photograph. It was a Ash Wednesday. I went to my local church, and I waited outside. It was snowing very lightly. People came out of the church, and I was on this stairway, and I kind of half blocked it so people couldn't get past me. Mm -hmm. And so I take, I take your photograph. And it was one beautiful young woman, and she said no. And she put her hand up like no. Mm -hmm. I said, oh, come on. You look really great. And then she said, okay. And she posed like a Madonna. And I put the two next to each other. And you have to, you have to be willing to talk to people yeah, and make them feel good about themselves, you know? You, um, I don't want to get off track here. Do, do you know Robert Verga? Robert? He, he, Robert Verga. He, he, he lives in New Jersey, but he shoots a lot in Brooklyn. And, no. And, uh, but he had a great photo outside, I think, of St. Patrick's. Ash Wednesday. These business guys leaving the church with the ashes on their forehead. Mm -hmm. And it just made me think of that. I, and uh, and I, um, I don't know why I brought it up. I, I just thought maybe the two of you knew each other. No, Doesn't I mean, everybody in New York know each other? I mean, it's a, I mean, a lot of, 
a lot of people do similar work. A lot of people bump into each other. You know, yeah. you know, it's, it's kind of it's interesting community being a photographer. Yeah, I'm isolated. I live out in Rockaway. I'm not an academic, so I'm probably more isolated than a lot of people. Yeah, like one thing living out here, I if I decide I want something, I buy it. It's too hard to go into the city to rent it. You know, I make a decision, and if I have to buy it, I I, I buy it. And that's one thing as a photographer, you have to you have to support yourself. You know, if you think you need something, you feel something's important, you make the sacrifice and get it. Yeah. That's what I think. You know, I think that's you need. If you decide I need this wide angle lens or I want to switch to this, you do it. Unless you have someone's going to give it to you. Yeah. How likely is that to happen? Yeah. Are you shooting digital at all? No, I shoot. I, I, um, I had, I think I told you, I had an interesting job working for the city. I, yeah. a series of funny events. I wound up being the staff photographer the city housing agency housing preservation development and we shot black and white and then i forget what year we switched to color and then 10 years later we switched to digital so i kind of learned on the job and i wound up using a can a, can a big canon mm -hmm. it's a fabulous camera i mean it's like it's as good as co shooting color negative especially if you're shooting 35 millimeter color it's different if you're shooting four by five color so I did, you know, commercial work, assignments, small things. I use, I use the, uh, I'm very comfortable with the digital camera. It's very easy. It's much easier to uh, print from than if you have to scan a negative. So I, yeah. I, everything I use is a mix. I mean, this book I'm working on now has everything from um, 35 millimeter black and white to cell phone photographs to 8x10 view camera photographs. I just yeah. mix things up. That's quite a spread. Yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes you're out and you have the wrong camera. You wish you had a uh, Hasselblad when you only have the wide lux. And sometimes mm -hmm. you, wish you had a view camera because you want to make these big, beautiful prints. Like Stephen Shore in his last exhibit at MoMA talked about it when he said he started out shooting 35 millimeter, but he wanted the prints to be big and he didn't want them to be soft. He started going to bigger negatives. And, and that was my path. You know, I went from two and a quarter to four by five to eight by 10. But you can't use it for everything. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So you were just talking about your book you're working on now. Is, is that here down on Dark Earth? Yes, a very cheery uh, topic. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's, it's yeah. about, it, it, the full title is Here Down on Dark Earth, Lost and Remembrance in New York City. And the actual here from the, here down in dark earth is uh, from a Jack Kerouac poem. The mm. title of one of his poems is I always love that concept. And um, I just started thinking about you know more, my mortality, and the, the pandemic really got me going. I was home. I was I stopped going swimming at the Y. I stopped going to public places. And I spent a lot of time thinking about the passing of time. People I knew. Several people in my family had died. And I just started looking at all these photographs. I'd photographed funerals. I'd photographed wakes. Um, I did a lot of stuff after 9-11. There's a church up the block from my house. Had about 40 funerals for firemen. Oh, man. And I, would, I just photographed a few. And at the same time, one of my favorite uncles died a week or two after 9-11. And I was thinking, here's a guy who worked his whole life, raised his family. There were 10 people at his wake. 
And so is he any less worthy of love and remembrance than, say, someone who, a hero who died at, nine, at uh, the World Trade Center? And I started putting all these photographs together, these little things I found. And they're, when I worked for the city, I drive through Bushwick and Bed-Stuy and, and Harlem and the Bronx. I saw all these beautiful rest in peace memorial walls. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I always saw them as religious art. And I had, I had, and I had um, say a, a pile of those. And I started putting them together. And I started seeing all these little smaller things where some would, would write in like wet cement, I miss daddy. And I started comparing the big ones to the small ones. And I started thinking of like the, the big civic statues, like the Doughboy statues. Compare them to the memorials for kids slain, slain during the drug wars. And I just thought this all seemed to me to be variations on the same theme. How do we remember people? How do we keep them in our hearts? How fast everything disappears. And I have like 550 of these photographs in different categories. And I started weaving them together. I, I found a great young writer in Clifford Thompson to do a story. A personal story about his family growing up, looking at this stuff. And I got the curator, Jan Ramirez, from the 9-11 Museum to write about, specifically about the deaths around 9-11. And I've put this together in a book, and I'm trying now, I'm writing to publishers. But I, I, it was a very personal, very involving project. I spent two years on it. But I still see, I still see more. I still keep adding to it. I can keep, because I, keep, I still pass these beautiful memorials that people just put on a wall. They'll, they'll put two candles on the sidewalk and a stuffed teddy bear. You know, you see him after all the deaths, after the, the George Floyd, they're all over the country. Mm-hmm. And then eventually they disappear. They, they, they melt. They get swept away. Sanitation takes them. And then there's nothing. Like you go, there was, um, you, you see how these big, big things grow. They start small, they get bigger, and then they go back the other way. And there's nothing except the family remembers them. Or sometimes someone will have a street sign put up after somebody. And it's just, how do we remember people? I, uh, yeah, because you, you sent me a, like it's a proof of the book. And uh, I, I found it very moving um, recently. You know, I'm just a few years younger than you. And I, you know, I'm at that age where I'm starting to lose friends, you know, people, yeah, yeah. you know, suddenly. And, and uh, um, you know, and it, I just, I mean, the, 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 what you created in that book was, I think, very powerful. And thank you. Um, but sometimes it was hard for me to, to look at be, because of losing you know, yeah. these people who were close to me. But yeah. uh, you, you did something really special there. Oh, thank you. you One know? of the walls I was driving back from photographing in uh, East New York and Brooklyn, I passed this wall. Like I remember the day because it was two thousand five, and it had it was rest in peace, Michael. And yeah. there's a picture of an image that I grew up with. I went to the school I went to was St. Michael the Archangel in Sunset Park. And it was a picture of St. Michael with his spear, and he has his foot on the devil, and the devil's his fire around the devil. And I looked at it. I, I stopped the car, I went back and photographed it. And then I went back a week later with my four by five camera and photographed it because it was so beautiful. And I said, This looks so familiar. I went through the little mass cards you get at the at a, at a traditional funeral or wake. Mm-hmm. I found the exact picture for my cousin Michael, who died the year before. Oh, and I looked at it, and I was like, 
my wife was a visual artist and a real genius. I said, Barbara, what do you think? Does this look exactly the same? Look at the angle of the tail, the angle of the spear, said Michael Hill, the way the devil's arms are out. It was like as if the graffiti artist either saw that mask card or another version of that. It was like when you see fingerprints and you match point by point. Mm-hmm. They're in the book together, and it was like amazing. And my my cousin Michael is uh, one of the kids on the stoop in the photograph I took with that borrowed Petri camera in 1969. <laughs> so I photographed him. I have him photographed in his coffin. I photographed him with his girlfriend, his brother, different people. And I photographed his lovely boy his whole life. He died too young. And so in the back of the book, I have a dedication to the people who went before. And I name names. I name all the people in my family. And it's going down to every, uh, my grandparents long ago came from a big Italian family. My, my parents, both sets of parents, all their siblings, all their spouses are all gone. And my first cousins are starting to go. You know, I've lost four or five first cousins, and I and I'm the oldest of the about thirty first cousins. Man, so definitely hear that <laughs> clock. So it's like Captain Hook. <laughs> Just following you, the, yeah. the alligator with or the yeah, crocodile exactly. with the with the yeah. clock, and it's yeah. The only thing's good about having the clock when you're doing the long time exposures, it's discounted off. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think I said this. I'd turn another show, but I just, I read a thing on Facebook and, um, and it's one of those little sayings that somebody posts on Facebook and, and it said, the good thing about life is because is that it's finite and what was the second one? Oh my God, <laughs> never mind. But that's a good one it, because it's finite <laughs> and you know, which I guess keeps you honest and, and and makes you do the things that are important to you. There was a whole series of books back in the seventies. I, I don't know if people read them anymore now. It was the Don Juan Castaneda books. Oh yeah, I read Juan. I read uh, two of them. Yeah, yeah, it was a very heavy, heavy thing. You know, smoking pot. It was reading those books, <laughs> and um, one of the big things he he wrote about was let death be your advisor. Yeah. If you understand that you're not here permanently, you take life more seriously, you think a little more clearly, you maybe have better values. I don't know. It's 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 just um if you realize if you realize that you can really do some things. And um I love being here. I love being with my wife, I love seeing my grandkids. I, I really like making photographs, but I, I think it's all gonna come to an end. So I'm starting really to think about what to do with all my work. Time's a wasting. Yeah, no, I, I I get every day. I'm look. I look forward to working. I have a schedule in my head, and I'm just chipping away at this giant pile, you know. And it's just like um, when I worked as a carpenter, I used to do a lot of sheetrocking, and you get this. You have uh, you know hundreds of sheets of sheetrock on the yeah. job. You just put up so many a day. Yeah, your tools away. You come back. There's more sheetrock. <laughs> you just get into a rhythm, and you accept it, and you enjoy it. I never, never thought of it that way. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think it's like when I was up at Yale, I tell you, I gave a talk at Yale. I talk about photography like farming. You know, you plant, and then you wait, and then you reap, and then you look at what you did, and you plant again, and you get into the process. You enjoy all the different steps. 
you know, you enjoy cleaning your equipment, you enjoy mixing chemicals. It's all very, very enjoyable. Wow. I don't know what to say to that. Yeah, that's, uh, that's nice. No, it makes it's made me it's made me happy and 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 to enjoy. Mm -hmm. And you know, some things work out. Sometimes you get disappointed. You apply for something, you get it, you don't get it. Mm -hmm. There's just so many good photographers. I mean, I just so many good photographers out there that it's really amazing. I love looking at work. I I, I have a nice little photo collection. I've traded with people. So I very rarely can I afford to buy anything, but I love collecting photography. I love looking at photography. Yeah, you know, I've learned too. a lot. Through, I've learned a lot through photo books. I, I love looking at photo books. Yeah, if your house was on fire and you could only grab one photo book, no, I take my hard drive. <laughs> that doesn't count. <laughs> I grab my eight terabyte hard drive. <laughs> True. Well, hopefully, you have online backup too. I don't think I do. Oh, in the cloud. But you know, I have some really old books. I have a really nice copy of your. I have a first edition signed of the Ballad of Sexual Dependency that Nan Golden signed for me. It's some very nice things. You know, I've given, I gave 500 books to the uh, Brooklyn Public Library. Wow. Photo books. I, I, I needed more, I needed more shelving room for my prints. Man. So I, you know, I had all these beautiful books. I gave them to the library so someone could learn from them the way I did. That's a great idea. You can always go if if you want to read them again. Go over there and get it. Yeah, but they were like you know they were they were worth maybe like I saw the original copy of the Bike Riders by Danny Lyon, and I paid four dollars for it, and I was in a bookstore and saw it being sold for four hundred. Yeah, decided to to sell the book. I I sold some books before I gave them away, and I, I'm not that that sharp a collector. The newer twenty dollar version was better printed than the one I had. So I, I thought someone who really wants the scarcity value can have it. You know, I'll get, I'll do, I, I bought a lens with the money when I sold the book or something. Wow. You know, have, keep, keeping vintage first editions is a real luxury. I, but I have a few and they're fun. Hey, you don't happen to have a copy of W. Eugene Smith's Pittsburgh book, do you? No, but I have, something, well, I have, I have a signed copy of The Sweet Fly Paper of Life. Really? The Word the Caravan book, yeah. Wow. And I met I met him a few years ago. He came, he actually he came to HPD to speak to the um I'm trying to think of the name of the group. It, it was primarily for for African American HPD workers and their kids. Mm -hmm. And he came to talk and he was very interesting. He was a bit of a curmudgeon, but really smart, very pleasant guy. And one of his recent books to come out, and they arranged to uh have signed copies, he signed copies of the books. Wow. And I had to go I had to go to his house. And um, they decided to pick the books up and then bring them back to Manhattan. And I got to speak to him a little bit. And I had my original, um, I had, must have had 30 years old copy of the Sweet Flight Paper of Life. I asked him to sign it for me. And he signed it and said, don't look at it till later. And then he signed it to Larry the Deliverer. <laughs> oh, by the way. You use the term HPD. Why don't you tell us what that is? Say what? HPD. Or oh, yeah, I'm sorry. The, the, yeah. the, I said it wrong. Department of Housing Preservation Development. Ah, okay. It's a city agency that sends out inspectors if you have a heat complaint. Mm. Also build housing. And it was a, it's an amazing agency with really great people working there. 
and they work with many, many nonprofits throughout the city to build housing. And um, and I first heard you talking about HPD on another podcast. I just want to tell everybody about it if they want to want to hear more about you. And uh, it was the uh, B and H podcast, um, and it came out was that last year? Yeah, that's what I remember. January twenty two, yeah. I think it was. I'll go, but I'll put a link. I'll put a link okay. in the show. No, I, I really like that show. Yeah, and it was nice to to know you were on there because you had already contributed to the magazine. So, no, so like, like like I, I don't do a lot of things, but if an opportunity presents itself, like I saw your magazine, I thought, well, this might be interesting, and I thought you might because it's a magazine about street photography. I said maybe I would like this article about. That I'm thinking about the wide lux. Yeah. It's such a perfect street camera. So, you know, sometimes like you were open and you you were interested and wrote back to me, said, please send it to me. Other people say no, then I just I just move on. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to, I used to play roller hockey in Brooklyn. And one of one of the central rules was shoot at the net, shoot at the net. Weak shot, strong shot, just keep as long as you're shooting the net, something might happen. Yeah. And it's like that with you can't be too disappointed you can't let it shake you if you if you get a no you know but my my big thing is i tell people no one's i never applied for something where someone said okay they came to my house and said we want all your cameras your stuff is so terrible we don't want you to make any more pictures <laughs> the, the most you get is silence you don't even get a no usually you just yeah. get silence. silence ghost being ghosted yeah yeah, I just I remember when you sent that Wide Lux article and it was a while ago. And I go, wow, this is really cool. Well, I liked your work and I I had I had known about the camera and then had forgotten. So yes. it was nice to see somebody doing street photography with it. Yeah. By the way, do you do you happen to know Jeff Bridges? Wait, what? Jeff Bridges, the actor. He oh, shoots I've heard, I've heard about his work. Yeah. I just actually yeah. I like him very much as an actor. I just saw yeah. a crazy heart. A few weeks ago on on uh, I think on Netflix and it was really good. I like him a lot, but I really yeah. haven't seen much of his photography. Yeah, the um, um, I heard him. I knew he was a photographer. I didn't realize he used used the wide lux, and then I heard him on the B and H podcast um, talking about it. I think he owns several of them because, like I said earlier, it's hard to get parts for the things, yeah. and. Uh, so that that was uh, that was very interesting. Good good podcast. See that you guys have a lot in common. You were both on the same podcast too. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. Yeah. So what do you what else are you working on? Seems like you're keeping pretty busy. Yeah. Well, I'm doing a lot of stuff about my family. I think that um, mm. I, I had this book. The next book I want to do, and I think in terms of books, is a very natural thing for a photographer. Books or projects, exhibitions. I wanted, I had this title in mind called The Men in My Life. Hmm. And I was thinking, like, when you're a kid and you grow up, how do you learn about the world? And I guess as a boy, you look at the men around you. So I learned my grandfather didn't speak English. I had really no interaction with any of my grandparents. They never learned English. And my parents very much didn't want me and my brother to learn Italian. They want us to be Americanized. So yeah. this weird yeah. semi-Italian family. So I think about who did I learn from? My father and my uncles. 
and then my cousins, and then some teachers. And he, you learned how to approach the world, what to do, what's accepted, what's right, in a very vague way. So I'm going back now. I photographed all these people. And I'm going back through my files. I'm starting to scan all these people. And it will be in kind of like chronological order. My father, my favorite uncles, the uncles I didn't know very well, then my, my cousins and some of my friends. And I'm trying to so decide this will take another year or two to do, but I'm just I'm working on very gradually. And I and the thing is I photographed these people all along the way. So I, I have one of the things I'm also I photographed these funerals, and I think the funeral parlors, the traditional Italian funeral parlors are very beautiful. So I photographed a bunch of family uh, wakes with either the panoramic camera or the view camera. And I'm including that. Like I have somebody's first communion photo, mm. and I have them in their coffin. And I'm thinking about some of the times I spent with them. And I'm I'm doing more writing. I always I had wanted to be a writer long before I became a photographer, but I was intimidated by the blank page. Mm -hmm. But having to write to accompany photographs, like in the Wide Lux article, I'm finding much easier. And I'm really uh, yeah. doing a bunch of things like that. So I'm liking writing. I had this phrase, I don't think it's really accurate, called illustrated memoir, where the photographs have equal status with the writing. Hmm. It's, I don't want, it's not, they're not captions for the photographs. They're two parts of a whole. And I've been doing more and more of that, and I can do that by myself at home. And I don't really need, sometimes I'll, I'll photograph something new to add, but for the most part, I already have the material on hand. I have notebooks going back to 1970 that I've kept. That's 50 years of notebooks. I have 50 years of negatives. The, um, it's, it's interesting that you did that. And it's good that you photographed your family all along. Yeah. And I think about, you know, every family has, has that guy with the camera, you know, here comes Larry. He's got his camera with him. Oh no. <laughs> but you kept taking the photos, right? Yeah. I, I'm the guy with the camera in my family and, you know, I'm always pulling it out and, and uh nobody wants their photo taken and but then years later they're happy they did yeah and uh so well, i started with my family because they were the people who let me photograph them yeah and i started with kids on the street like my halloween book because they let me photograph them you know a lot of people like want something like um it's hard getting in places if you're if you're basically just a solo person like i did this series of uh movie mm -hmm. theaters and I photographed inside the, the famous Lowe's Kings before it was renovated. And I had some work in a show. And I, was a, I took a Elvis Costello song, All This Useless Beauty, for the title. And I had some of these theaters in it. And we got a phone call. And my wife said, someone, a producer from HBO was, HBO was on the phone, <laughs> interested in your photographs. They want no. to buy some photographs. And I said, no, no, Barbara. They don't want to buy photographs. They want to learn how I got permission to get inside the Lowe's Kings. Oh, really? And that was it. Yeah, they, they, they wanted, like, how'd you get in there? What can we do, you know? So the whole thing is getting permission. And if you have nothing to offer but a smile and I'll bring you back some photographs, a lot, it's easy to say no. If you offer somebody, like, like a production company comes in, they'll, they'll pay to use a site, like, say, uh, a scrapyard as a background for photo session. 
you know, when you go in just as a, as a solo photographer with no production budget, it's very different. But surprisingly, people say yes. People say are interested, they're surprised. Well, I can tell you one of my favorite stories. I was photographing in Staten Island. And one of the things I loved about working for HPD is I have to, I had to photograph some demapped streets in, in Staten Island. So I'm driving around this map. And I'm looking for a street that doesn't exist anymore. So I'm out by Kilvin Call on Arthur Avenue, and I pull into this big scrapyard. And I make the turn in, and on the right is a little trailer where all these guys, like, like the cast of Sopranos, is sitting. And to my left is this mountains of scrap cars with the beautiful, I don't know if you know, the Bayonne Bridge is this beautiful steel arc. Mm-hmm. It's like the arch in St. Louis, only longer. And that's behind the cars. And I said, oh, my God, I got to photograph this. So I asked the guys for directions. They give me an idea of where the street might have been that I was trying to find. And I said, listen, I really think this place is fantastic. I'd like to take some photographs. But I'd like to come back with a big camera on the weekend. And, and these guys, I'm an imitator accent, which is worse than one. Why? What do you mean? Why do you want to photograph here? <laughs> it's really fascinating to view the contrast of the cars with the bridge. All right. When do you want to come? I said, well, I... I got to come around two o'clock because of the light. I want the light behind me. Yeah. And the guy says, could I come on? Say, he says, okay, come. And I said, well, it would be a hassle. He goes, no, tell him Joey said it was okay. So a few <laughs> days go by, it's Saturday. I pack up my equipment. I bring my camera, my tripod. And I, I drive in there and I go into the gate. And I park the car. I get out the camera. These guys surround me. What are you doing here? <laughs> and I said, I came to take some pictures. And he said, Say you could photograph here. And I said, the other day, Joey said it was okay. And they said, oh, okay, go ahead. <laughs> so it's this big expanse. It's several acres. It's on the, it's on the, on the Kilvian Cull. So I said, listen, I'm going to walk around here for a while. Are there any, any dogs I have to worry about? These guys go, no, where are the dogs? Ah! And they start laughing. <laughs> and I got some beautiful photographs. That at least in my opinion, they're beautiful. And I had a great day. And wandering around by myself, I know, like, you know, sometimes you get permission. Like, I, I got once, once got permission to photograph on an army base. And every two inches, there was a guy standing behind me, the yeah. lieutenant assigned to me. And I found a lot of places, like, these, especially these scrapyards, they either say no, or they say, go ahead, and you could never come back. They don't care. There's no supervision. Mm-hmm. And I, I love doing that. I mean, I've, I've had a, a blast photographing. I have to say, that's why it's just so much fun and so live. And I come back with these several rolls of film and I have to, you know, go into the city as soon as I could and get them processed. And it was, it was exciting. You know, the anticipation of film is very different. It's a lot of fun compared to, although visual has its charms. That's true. Yeah. That's true. You wait for it to come back. Hopefully you're not disappointed. Yeah. No, and you do. You learn. When you work professionally, like I was, assist, I was an assistant for several years in a photo studio in Manhattan. This great photographer, Phil Marco, and we do these ads, and he would Polaroid it. So you'd set the camera up, and you'd do a black and white Polaroid, and then the art director would say, okay, that looks good, and then you'd put the film in and shoot it for real. But so you, once you had the Polaroid, you knew what you had. Yeah, that's true. You didn't change the settings. And the Polaroid film is hardly made anymore. It doesn't, they don't make it for the professional backs anymore. You have yeah. a film like back, you take that out and put the film holders in. But you kind of knew what you had unless you something went wrong with the processing. 
Yeah. Now I just use a digital camera. Yeah, that's it. Very different. <laughs> very different. Very different. You know, it's funny. I've uh, we've been both Ashley and me. We we've been running into people like yourself who are resurrecting old photos, and it, I think it makes for some great, uh, you know, great articles for the magazine. And uh, you know, I, I'm glad that you contacted us about uh you know about your your story about your trip back to new york but, I'll, have some uh, more things, I'll have some more things for you over time if you're still interested yeah definitely definitely you know it, it makes me kick myself for not taking better care of my old negatives yeah. and uh you know i found one which is my first street photos from like 1974 and but it was torn so i had to scan it and and use Photoshop to to repair it. <laughs> well, I, I, found it, I found that a lot of negatives I didn't print at the time were too thin. Mm -hmm. but using Photoshop, you bring it back on very cheap. Oh, definitely. And the, yeah. and the, and the new papers, the, the Canson and the mm -hmm. um, new papers are terrific. Yes, they are. The, the price has jumped incredibly in the last few months. Yeah. It's still, it's still fabulous. Really, it's gone up. I haven't bought any since the first of the year. Yeah, no, it's, it's, you'll be surprised. Really? Oh, Not yeah. pleasantly. I was going to buy more, you know. Usually I overbuy stuff, and I thought, okay, I'm, I'll just wait till I, yeah. I need more. Oh, well. But I remember when I first learned how to print black and white back in the 70s, one of the teachers said, whatever you like, don't fall in love with it because you'll suddenly a paper film will just be discontinued. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, um, yeah. I remember there's a, there's a relatively famous restaurant in Chinatown called Wo Hops. Mm -hmm. It's a downstairs restaurant, and I was in there one day, having and I saw this a table nearby. There were three three photographers. I knew they were photographers because they had the Agfa Riviera orange boxes of paper, <laughs> and they were talking. And my friend, which I was my friends, were talking, and I see the guy, but I must, I'm kind of aware that there are other photographers, and they're talking, and one of the guys starts talking very lowly and he says i got something to tell you and he leans in and the other two guys lean in almost like the ef hutton commercial yeah yeah and he says cans coming out with a lightweight slr <laughs> and at the time everyone had those big photonic yeah. nikon f's with the big head yeah and and suddenly i think it was well, maybe it was I think it was I think it was Canon, maybe it was Minolta or something. But they they started having all the lighter, smaller cameras. Then Nikon came out with the FM series to match it. Mm -hmm. But it was so funny. This guy whispered in and like I should have brought stock. <laughs> it was Olympus, not Canon. It was Olympus. Oh, oh, very small, thirty-five millimeters. And it was really I think about it. Picture the guy in the restaurant leaning in his friends leaning in his conspiratorial way. <laughs> Don't let anybody hear this. Yeah. yeah. Oh, funny. Yeah. Well, Larry, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you online? Okay. You know, yeah, my website's my name, Larry com, and I have my contact information. I have some photographs. I have some books you could buy, and um, I'm I'm just I'm just very happy to be a photographer. I like it. I I at one point didn't think I wanted to be a digital photographer. I. I in my head the concept was going to be I was going to be the grouchy old white guy without a website. 
And I was in an exhibit at the Brooklyn Arts Council. It was a really nice exhibit. And there were 30 artists, photographers, painters, sculptors, and they, and they published a catalog. And on the catalog, you got a whole page was your bio and your piece that was in the show. And under your name was your website. And there were 30 artists and there were 29 websites, except for mine. Uh-huh. And I said, you know what? Now you're being a jerk. You got, you have to, you have to go into the 21st century. That's where you exist. Yeah. But I wasn't like, I wasn't sure I wanted to go. So are you now the grouchy old white guy without Instagram? No, without uh, Facebook. I have Instagram. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm about, I'm about to be done with Facebook. I'm sick of it. Yeah. I just have, there's too much to read. I can't keep up. I mean, I subscribe to several magazines and I, yeah. uh, and I have all my photo books I'm still reading and going back over. And I just, I don't have the time for it. I think it's like, it, it could be fun. It's, it's like, Instagram, every now and then I put something on Instagram, but I don't use it for my work. I use it like mostly for walking on the beach. I'm not taking advantage of it. I'm going to probably get a new website next year. That's going to be much more comprehensive. And um, my website doesn't look great on a, on a phone. It looks good on a computer. So I'm going to yeah. modernize it. Um, but I, I have some other things I want to do first. I have one or two more articles I'm trying to finish and I want to, Trying to find the publisher for this book, Cure Down on Dark Earth. It's interesting. I think it's I think it's a very powerful book. And I have um some people blurb that Jamal Shabazz has written a blurb for it for the back cover. So the people I showed to really seem to like it, but it may not be something that's gonna work commercially. So I have a 200 page 11 by 17 book dummy with wow. photos glued on, taped on, and the text all on it. And I have it, it's, it's like really big a seven by 17 by eight inches high so it may just be exist in a dummy form but it's a beautiful project wow it's very powerful very new york sounds pretty cool yeah well larry hey i gotta thank you for being with us oh it's my pleasure and for sharing your work with our readers i know they're gonna like the next one well by the time they hear this, they will have already liked it. So <laughs> great. Well, thank you, Bob, and thank you for doing the magazine. I know a lot of people have been on, a lot of people look at it. It's really interesting. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. A lot of work, but a lot of fun yeah. too. Yeah. And you know your 10 year anniversary podcast is very nice. Oh, thanks. I didn't fun. want to do it. Yeah. Nah, you actually made me do it. You have to promote yourself in a gentle way. You, you can't you do. be so shy, but you have to be like, you have to be out there. You're right. You're absolutely within right. Your com- within your comfort range. Yeah. You know, when I worked for the city, every other commissioner liked to be photographed. Some loved it. They loved the stage and being out there and being photographed. And other people, you had to like, well, to say, well you need to do these two shots for the, for the paper. You know, so everyone has a different attitude towards being photographed. Yep. When yeah, I was younger, I did, a, I did a series of self-portraits so I would get the feel of what it's like to ask someone to stand in front of the camera and, and expose themselves and not necessarily be flattered. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks again. Okay, Bob. Your thoughts about the show go a long way in helping us decide on the guests and the subjects that we include in each episode. So please take a few moments to write a review in Apple Podcasts, or whatever service you use to stream your podcasts. It helps us know if we're on the right track, and it helps others to find and enjoy the show. 
The editor of Street Photography Magazine is Ashley Refo, and our audio engineer is Russell Boyd from WeBit Studios, found at webitstudios.co.uk. I'm Bob Patterson, and this is the Street Photography Magazine podcast, a service of Street Photography Magazine. Thank you.